been following along, you'll know that in the last lesson, we covered the Abrahamic covenant, that God made a covenant with Abram. And in this lesson, we'll continue into part two of that. So if you'll remember, last time we covered chapter 12 of Genesis, chapter 15. So as a summary, we could say that the promise was initially made to Abraham in chapter 12. It was ratified, the covenant was ratified in Genesis 15. And we'll see in Genesis 17, which is where we'll be today, that the covenant was expounded, that there was more details given to Abram. So in Genesis 12, very briefly, God drew Abraham out of the land of his fathers. He said, I will bless you. I have these promises for you. I will protect you. I will watch over you. And I will make you a blessing to many nations. And then we saw a moment recorded in Genesis chapter 15 where Abram was asking for a sign, saying, God, how can I know for sure that these promises that you made to me all those years ago are going to come true? That you made these promises and I believe you, but... He's asking for a sign. He's asking for some evidence that this will come to take place. So God took Abram outside and he showed him the stars and said, As many stars as you can count, so will your descendants be. He also officially ratified the covenant with Abram. So there is a story where Abram prepared a sacrifice, that he cut some animals in two, that a deep sleep fell upon him. God gave him some warnings. And then finally, that God passed through the two parts and ratified this covenant of this land and this future blessing promised to Abram. And then we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 17, that I'll read the first nine verses. We see that Abram now was 99 years old. He was an old man by every standard that we have today. That um, he's found himself again where God meets him and he gives him more details of the covenant and he gives him a sign So let's read verses 1 through 9 if you have your Bible. Genesis chapter 17. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. In verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations of you, and the kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. Verse 8, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. So last time we covered the context of the covenant of, of Abraham and God. We, we saw the previous two chapters, how God prepared Abram, how he gave him the covenant itself. So we're starting in the middle of the covenant now with the blessings and the curses of the covenant or the promises that God gave. So from these verses that we just read, we have God declaring certain things saying, I will. There's a a name change that God gives Abraham now. He was Abram before, meant something like exalted father. And now we have Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. 
and I recognize that I've used Abram and Abraham interchangeably in the previous lesson, but this is a significant moment. The, the weight of the name has a, a significant meaning behind it. God also says in verse 6, he talks about nations coming forth from him and being blessed, of kings coming from Abraham's line. Verse 7, that everlasting covenant with his descendants. So we see an interesting thing where the covenant is not just with Abraham and, you know, once he dies, the covenant dies with him. But God has made it with Abraham's descendants. So this is significant because we know that those descendants turn into, so to speak, the nation of Israel. That what's one man and, you know, a few servants around him and a wife and a few children, it turns into a great nation that God grows, that God blesses, that God has special relationships with in the future. Verse 8, his God's last I will. He says, he will make the land as an everlasting possession. He says, I will be the God of your descendants. They will be my people. I will give them the land that you've been wondering in for all these years, speaking to a man who's 99 years old. We see one law given, that uh, a unique um, law that's, that's given to Abraham is the, the sign of circumcision. So this is a marker. It's a, a marker of who's in the covenant and who's out of the covenant. It's a physical circumcision. We saw that Abraham, Abraham was obedient to fulfill this sign. What's interesting here, though, is the previous laws that we've seen of, of not murdering one another, of being fruitful and multiplying, that those are good things to do. But this circumcision that God commands for Abraham and for his household is a unique thing in that it's not necessarily moral in and of itself. It's not right or wrong until God commands, do this, and then it becomes binding for Abraham and for his descendants. We can also look at the headship of the covenant of who's in and who's out. So it's Abraham, clearly the one who's speaking to God, who God is speaking to, but it's also all of his descendants. So it's this figurehead of Abraham, and we see these descendants go out through history, even into the New Testament. And the sign, again, is evidenced of, you can ask yourself, who's in the covenant and who's out of it? And it's evidenced by physical circumcision. We have a a key, though, if we think a little bit more critically about Abraham already has, or he will have descendants, that there's a son that was born to him who is not from Sarah, and therefore that covenant is not guaranteed with him. So the sign or the promise made evident, that question that Abraham was asking to God of, how do I know this is true? How do I know that you're going to continue this with me? It's chapter 15, God gave the covenant as a proof. He, he gave the, the reminder to Abraham of, look at the stars and think, that's how many your descendants will be. In chapter 17, in this chapter, we also see that God gave circumcision as a physical sign, that that was a moral command given to Abraham for him to follow as a part of God's law, as a part of their agreement in uh, this covenant relationship. In chapter 21, we see that, that promise of a physical descendant realized that even in Abraham and Sarah's old age, we see the birth of Isaac, their son. And it's through Abraham onto Isaac and Jacob and so on that we see the line of Abraham continue. And even later on in the Old Testament, remembered back as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of your fathers. So that's the covenant itself that's laid out in those verses that we read. We can ask ourselves now, what's the result? What, what happened after this significant event in Abraham's life? 
So of Abraham himself, he blessed God, he praised God, he followed the physical sign of circumcision, just as God had commanded. Of Abraham's people, of his descendants, the ones who were with him then and who came after him, immediately we see that he followed the orders that were given, that his household was circumcised. If we were to keep reading in Genesis, we would see that Sarah didn't believe God. She was, she was laughing behind the scenes saying, I'm an old woman. How can I give birth to a son at this age? But God, nevertheless, in spite of her disbelief, used the promise that he made to be fulfilled through Abraham and Sarah. In the future, if we were to fast forward to the book of Matthew, we would see Jesus speaking with some Jews, with Pharisees specifically. And he says, you all refer to Abraham as your father. And Jesus is making a point to them in a certain way, but it's evidence for us that we see even all those centuries later or throughout all the history of the Old Testament, even as far in the day of Jesus, that those Jews would look back on Abraham and this covenant and they would know the story and they would see themselves not as just, you know, first century uh, around the birth of Christ, religious people following this God of this Old Testament, but they would see themselves specifically as descendants of Abraham, as God's promise fulfilled in some ways through this line that he had continued. Lastly, we have for our result the realization of the promises. So part of this series on the covenants has been a, a looking at individual covenants, but drawing conclusions and seeing patterns of how all of them fit together. So the Abrahamic covenant, we split it into two lessons for a reason. It was to spend a little bit more time on this covenant itself to look at everything that happens in it. Because this is the most significant covenant for the ones to come because in Abraham, all the nations of the earth are blessed. And through Abraham's line are the future covenants with Moses, with David, with even the new covenant that we'll see with Christ. It's all reflected in God's initial covenant with Abraham. So we see the realization of the promise that God gave the descendant, that he gave Isaac. We see also sort of an anticipation. So because God is true, he cannot lie. He keeps his word always that he can do things with his word, that he will always be faithful to what he says he will do. That when we read these promises, I hope that you don't just read them and say, well, that's nice for Abraham. That's nice for Isaac. You know, that's a fine story in the Old Testament. Parts of it can be shocking. Parts of it can be entertaining. But these are real promises made by a real God to a real people. And because those promises are made, they're transacted in a covenant relationship, those promises have to be realized. So it's not always clear exactly when those promises are, are realized that, you know, some things are sort of mysterious. They're, they're shrouded in a cloud of mystery. We're not always sure exactly what some references mean, what some analogies mean, what exactly God's going to do. But we do have clear signs of in some ways, Abraham expects for covenants to come. He expects for God to continue working with his people. So what we have is a few verses here in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. We can read back from future books of the, of the Old Testament, read back into these chapters and see what God meant by those promises, at least to a small degree. So we have most initially, this will be our next lesson, God's covenant with Moses, the Mosaic covenant where there's a, there's a warning that Moses faces before he goes back to Egypt after he's fled, where he has to perform the sign of circumcision that was given to Abraham. 
So we see in God's providence that this binding covenant with Abraham and his descendants was still binding over 400 years later. That, that proves to us that God's um, I will statements and his you will statements, that transactional relationship, it's still binding, it's still forming for future generations. That 400 years from Genesis 15, when, when there is this promise or warning that God gave, saying your descendants will be in a foreign land and I will bring them out, that we'll see that in the next lesson, that with God raising up Moses and Aaron, he was true to his word to Abraham and he drew the people out. We also see a, a promise of a, a princess Sarah or um, king, so to speak, Abraham. We, we see this promise of kings to come from his line. So you ask yourselves, okay, there were no you know, kings in the nation of Israel with Moses, so what can we expect? Well, we have clearly the Davidic king. So there were a period where there were no um, rulers over Israel, and then there were judges over Israel that God raised up. There were prophets who would speak for God to the people. And then finally, there were kings that were raised up by God, that he, he used them in certain ways and at certain times. In a few lessons from now, we'll look at, the, at God's covenant with David, where he did raise up and say, You, David, I will establish your house forever. That we have to recognize the promise of kings, of Princess Sarah, this promise repeated to Isaac and also to Judah, that this is God's fulfillment of it, is a, a Davidic king who will come. So, of course, we can't know all of that from a couple of verses mentioned to Abraham, but we can know that reading the whole Old Testament and seeing God's work throughout it. Lastly, we have an anticipation of a, a new covenant. So let me read Hebrews chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. It's just two verses, and this will explain the New Testament writers looking back on the life of Abraham and, and mentioning some things that we can't see now. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 9 through 10. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, this is talking about Abraham, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which had its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So you have this, this clear understanding by the writer of Hebrews that Abraham's end was not just, I'm going to have Isaac and be done that he also knew it wasn't just for a, a, a nation of descendants that came from him to exalt Abraham in some spectacular way. But in some degree, in some manner, Abraham knew that there was something greater to come, that it was greater than just a physical land. It was greater than just a physical national people. It was greater because it was promises made by a great God, and there are none greater than him. So Abraham looked forward to a time when this Messiah figure would come when this Savior would come who would crush the head of the serpent, that death would be defeated, that there would be this, this eternal celestial city whose builder and founder and creator and sustainer was God himself. We also see a pattern in Abraham. Um, in covenant theology, sort of properly speaking, there's language of types and of anti-types. In the New Testament, though, we have realized in Colossians 2.17, it talks about, you know, there's a shadow of things formerly, but now that Christ has come, we have the substance. So as Baptists, we would recognize those are two different things. So we read about physical circumcision, marking who is in the covenant and who is out. And we'll talk about this in, in future lessons, but there's this reality in which 
circumcision still applies. Except in God's providence, it's not a physical circumcision, circumcision that's necessary, that's ordered by God, but it's a circumcision of the heart. It's, that's what marks those of us who are in this, this covenant with Christ, who belong to Christ, who find our faith in Christ, is it's a circumcision of the heart. That God takes these external laws that he gave to Moses and to Israel, and he writes them on our hearts. He causes us to walk in his ways by giving his spirit to us, that he will be our God, we will be his people. He causes us to be clean, to be holy, to be set apart, to be his sons. Maybe when you're younger, when you're in church, or maybe if you have children, you teach them this song, but um, there's a song that talks about Father Abraham has many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. And I've thought about that song as I've been preparing this lesson in that, you know, is that really true? But we see in the book of Galatians that what Abraham realized that we just read in Hebrews is, is true in such a greater way, that it's not about finally and ultimately a single people from Abraham's physical line, but it's about a spiritual people that God draws out through Abraham, through bringing that Messiah figure, that he blesses all the nations of the earth through Abraham, that the uniter that makes me as not somebody from Abraham's line directly, that makes me a child of Abraham, is faith. That's what saved Abraham. We know in Romans 4, his faith in believing that God would do what he said he would do. And it's faith that unites me to God, the, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. So as we go forward in the Old Testament, as we get through Genesis and then Exodus, Leviticus, and so on, we'll see often that God, when he has a, a significant moment of importance for us to remember, when he cuts an, a new covenant with a new person in Abraham's line, he'll refer back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as being the God of their fathers, he remembers this covenant significantly. So that's why it's, it's worth our time. So if you are following along, if you're reading ahead in your Bible, I would encourage you to go ahead and read Exodus. And there's so much in Moses being raised up and preserved by God, in the Hebrew people coming out and Egypt being judged that we, we just don't have time for. So if you have time, read Exodus chapter 1 all the way to, to chapter 20. And we'll um, go through that in the next lesson. So if you've been following along and you have questions, you can leave a comment down below, or if you're on HeartCry's website, you can send us a contact submission. In our final episode, we'll have two parts to it. The first part will answer common questions and, and try to make sense of some of the things that were unclear. And we'll also, I'll, I'll have a stack of books to recommend for further reading if you want to look at like more studying or what you can do to, to learn more about God's covenants. So thank you for watching and God bless.